0: everybody, and welcome back to Critical Thinking, episode 14. I'm John, the executive producer here at Final Show Films, and uh, at John A. Bates on Twitter. And I'm joined by Jack.
1: Hey, everybody, I'm Jack. I'm at Alt F4 Gamers on Twitter.
0: And Jeremy.
2: Hey, everybody, I'm Jeremy. I'm J Thomas, 411 Mania on Twitter.
0: I'm also joined you may you may may or may not be able to hear it in the background, but I'm also joined by my dryer, which is currently on Tumble, so fuck <laughs> it.
1: Um... Dryers on Tumblr?
0: What? <laughs> maybe, who knows? <laughs> uh it would make sense of so all the social media sites for a dryer to be on. Tumblr would what, be the one. What
2: toxic fan war is it in the middle of then?
0: Uh, currently uh, red v- red versus blue um, <laughs>
1: i was thinking something naruto based but you know <laughs> no, <whatever. Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> uh, see
0: i was making a i was making a color of clothes based pun and you were just going somewhere in the left field you have, I'm to, just you have to make your puns that i
1: don't understand your,
0: your your puns have to be consistent within their own that context that's was
2: last episode. i reject that's your... why, that's why <laughs>
0: If the Something. pun starts with the dryer being on Tumblr, then it has to go into why would a dryer? What part of a fandom would a dryer be in? And it would have to be red versus blue. So, anyways, because um, you don't put your reds and blues together when you wash them. In I do. I do. Thing. That's because you're monsters. <laughs> uh, you uncultured them. swine. You uncultured swine. Anyways, today we're talking about
2: we're (laughs) so deep into in jokes already
0: critical (laughs) role episode 15 Titled Skyward, <laughs> which, uh, starring Orion Acaba as Tiberius, Laura Bailey as Vexalia, Talzin Jaffe as Percy, Ashley Johnson as Pike, Liam O'Brien as Vaxil Don, Marisha Ray as Keeleth, Sam Regal as Scanlon, Travis Willingham as Grog, and, as always, Matthew Mercer as the Dungeon Master. Um. Previously on Critical Role, the party had just recently completed an extensive quest through the underdark beneath the dra- beneath the dragon dwarven city of Craghammer. This <laughs> dragon, dragon city would be very different. <laughs> um, in which they battled mind flayers and Duragar, and eventually a giant crazed beholder named Kavarn, that was possessed by an ancient artifact called the Horn of Orcus. Upon defeating Kavarn and making a dramatic escape thanks to Tiberius, back to their hometown of Iman, they met with the Council of Taldore, which they are, which they are technically a part of, uh, to sure discuss what-
1: First and last thing they ever accomplished thanks to Tiberius.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no? No, no, no. Yeah, we'll there are things we'll that see. happen later. There are things that's that true. happen later. That's true. Um... Uh, to discuss a what they mirrors. should, <laughs> a thousand mirrors. Uh, to discuss what they should do with this great ancient evil artifact, the Horn of Orcus. The council discussed it. Most of the knowledge seemed to be that it could. Uh, most, most of. Sorry, this the 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 thing that I read at the beginning of this is verbatim what Matt says at the top of his thing, and sometimes he says words in weird places. Um. Hmm. The, the, the knowledge seemed the most of the knowledge seemed to Words be that it could places. not.
1: That's my uh, indie rock.
0: So, so, so this is his exact, this is the exact <laughs> sentence. Okay. <laughs> the council discussed it, comma. Most of the knowledge seemed to be that it could not, or there is no known way to destroy it.
1: This that makes is sense to me. the exact sentence. I I can, I can wade through that, but it takes me a minute.
0: Yeah. And the best means of dealing with it would be to reseal it in a place where it would be safe, forgotten, and hopefully never rediscovered. Uh, it is decided amongst the Council that the safest place to do that would be the distant land of Athenzia, Oth- of where there is a capital city known as Vasselheim. There, supposedly, is the most well-known and holiest and oldest place of Kima's order of worship, of the great platinum dragon Bahamut, of which she is a paladin, and supposedly they have facilities or means of sealing it away. So... It was decided that kind they like would send the away what
1: to do with climate change
0: hmm? I mean it's true so it was decided that they would send away for a holy container that could contain <laughs> for a holy container that could contain this evil without any worry of corruption or escape, carry it via skyship over the ocean to a distant land of Athensia to Vasselheim, the capital city and seal it away. After which they went on a shopping spree to Gilmore's glorious goods and met everyone's favorite mage and the item collect- item creator extraordinaire. So actually I want to talk about this uh opening credit roll here. Um uh the, the the previously on, just a little bit more. We we've we've touched we've talked about it previously. I think we don't I think we dedicated at least an hour to it. Um as we tend to do. But uh, uh one thing that I do want to note is that M- Matt has notes that he reads from. When mm-hmm. he does these, but he does not write this out verbatim and just read from a thing. He improv, he, like he, he basically improvises the previously on based on the notes he's taken regarding the last episode or the right. last session. He probably session. has like se-
1: several bullet points, you know, main events, and then he tries to string it together into a coherent paragraph.
0: And sometimes it works, and sometimes it doesn't. But right, uh, right. what what I what I find is interesting is 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 the use of improv. Uh, sort of improv storytelling of a known series of events uh, this doesn 't happen a lot in traditional media it doesn 't happen in films it doesn 't happen in, well with a few exceptions because the actors were drunk but that 's a separate thing um, it, uh, it doesn't happen in, Thanks, in, in, in <laughs> it doesn't happen in, um, in in novels or books, but it does happen in theater, which is still a form of narrative storytelling oh oh. Um,
1: Hella form of narrative yep. storytelling. Yeah. Uh this, Possibly this is one a, of the oldest forms of narrative storytelling.
0: Well, I mean outside of cave paintings on walls, but um
2: yeah. I would I, argue that it does happen in on occasional live television, but
0: I mean yeah. uh, not intentionally though. Mm, not usually intentionally uh typically there's a teleprompter or yeah, a usually yes, or yes, cue card yes yeah, I, yeah I, 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 X, X, accepting the people that have cue cards and don't use them yeah. uh when they should use them right.
2: or like who's line? <laughs> Something
0: like that. well, uh, well, yeah. Who's but whose line is specifically an improv show? Yeah,
2: it's it, It's a it. That is a totally different beast. And is not.
0: And 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 whose line is not a? Na- well, I would not. I would argue is not a narrative show. It's no. an improv show.
1: Sometimes, it is, but yeah,
0: they, they, they can tell stories within the improv. But the show as a whole, the purpose of the show as a whole is not to it's, right. it's perform a improv, Not the narrative. Correct. Yet. Yes. Um. <clears throat> so. Sometimes it does. Uh, in theater in particular, uh, quite often there there is an expectation of memorization of lines. But outside of musicals, hardly ever are any lines that are memorized, recited perfectly as written on the page. Um, and the only reason musicals end up having that is because there's music and there's like the words are set to and, be. And, and, right.
1: and if you fuck up the lyrics, it's going to throw off the song.
0: You fuck up the lyrics, throws up the song, but even then, there's still some room for improv. Uh, But primarily, what I want to talk about is monologuing in theater and its purpose in narrative uh so monologuing is a way in theater in theatrical terms for us to get inside the head of whoever's talking um people don't actually monologue to themselves uh they 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 might talk to themselves and they, they might talk to themselves but oftentimes half the conversation is in your brain yeah um Whereas when a monologue, the entirety of the conversation is out loud to nothing or no one or specifically to the audience. Uh, and it's 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 used narratively to get us into the mind of the person talking and and let us experience sort of their perspective and give them a chance to explain why they're behaving the way they are, what they're thinking right now, and potentially what their next course of action is. And this is this I find, from my experience in theater, is the most often improvised type of mo- uh, type of dialogue in theater because. It's influenced by everything that came before, uh, physically came before in the show. Um, You can write a monologue down however you want, and you can expect it to be run along the same lines, but your character's performance influences how your character speaks, and so how your character speaks influences how this monologue is delivered. And any additional things that happened change the monologue. For instance, a, a very comedic, for instance, that I have in particular, um, I was in a production of uh, Fiddle on the Roof, uh, uh, which uh, is a classic. Uh, story about uh, a Russian uh, Russian Jewish society being forced out of their home by the uh, by, by the communists during <laughs> I don't remember the exact <laughs> age, but um,
2: that came out wrong. I heard, I'm this, about I heard the, the sarcasm, <laughs> but still, <laughs> no, 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 that legitimately came out wrong. I have also been in a production of it, so oh, that was. <laughs> I, I was talking about like ah uh, memories, uh, memories of the theater, like ah memories. Remember that
1: time that we were disenfranchised people group, subject to oppression from an establishment, and forced to relocate against our will. God, uh, I long for those uh, days again
0: oh wait it's still no.
1: it, should be, um, it should be mentioned by
2: the way that we were recording this at stupid early as far as I'm considered so
0: it's, it's <laughs> one o'clock here so
1: <laughs> it's almost it's ten o'clock fuck that right up um, <laughs> so um, so
0: the there's a monologue in particular that Tevye, the the lead character has where he's asking God why his people suffer Um and
1: it's very clear. God characteristically says fuck all
0: yeah, God says nothing., uh, but it's it's a, it's a very funny scene in which he's 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 pulling a cart because his 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 horse is lame. um so he's pulling the cart from town back to back to his farm, and he's, you know, God, I understand that there has to be some suffering and that there has to be poor people. but do we all have to be poor? And do we all have to suffer all the time? Like, can't there be one day, like five minutes where we don't? um and in the middle of this monologue, where he's talking to God, uh, as he's saying, "Can there be one?" I don't remember the exact line, but he's he's effectively getting across the point: Can there be one day where we don't suffer? And at that point, the we everybody in the audience and backstage heard this sound of cracking wood. Oh shit. And- and in unison with Tevya on stage we all turned to look at the source which was the cart he was carrying. Um and as we all in unison backstage, audience and on stage turned to look, the audience side wheel of this cart popped off and fell over. <laughs> Perfect. Along with the cart. just yes. So it's just, ah, so it's, just <laughs> it's, it's this moment of it's this moment of can't we just have one day where everything goes right? <laughs>
1: <laughs> and the cart fucking <laughs> falls apart. Right.
0: And the audience starts laughing. And Tevia has to stop <laughs> and wait. And by the time he's pro- by the time he's processed what has just happened, and the audience has processed what has just happened long enough that the that the laughter has died, he's lost his fucking place in the model of
1: course has. <laughs> As you would. And and how so, the fuck do you come back from that sort of shit?
0: And so he looks to the looks to the audience, looks to the sky, and goes, "Really." and then starts calling for help and he starts calling and by this point we're completely forgotten the monologue he's calling in character names everybody that he could think of that was just in the previous scene to come out and help and as he does one by one we all start coming out except for um the 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 son of the rabbi was played by a very good friend of mine a black guy named Faisal Faisal allen uh, and he's hilarious. Faisal, uh, if, if he hadn't gone into the military, he would have been one of the best comedians of my generation. Um, uh, and he uh, he got to Faisal's character because he's just listing all the people that he could think of. And he couldn't think of the character's name because the character's name is Son of the Rabbi. Right. Um, <laughs> and so he, he's trying to think of a name. And he can't think of anything. So he just goes, Faisal. Um, at which point Faisal, who has who has been decked out in a beard this whole time, reaches up, pulls his beard off, walks out onto stage, like walks out on stage with his hat off and everything, as if he was getting makeup done, walks out in plain view of the audience, holds his arms up in the air like, What the fuck, dude? Why's it gotta be me, the black guy you call by his real name? <laughs> and then turns around and storms back off in the entire the entire time Terry's looking at him pleadingly like I'm sorry dude I just didn't know you ne-. and the audience is in stitches at this point I don't think half of them remember why they started laughing in the first place <laughs> <laughs> but Amazing. we get but we get we we get out there we get his we get his we get his uh uh, uh, uh w- well no we can't get it back on because the axle broke oh okay <laughs> <laughs>
2: I was gonna say cracking wood is usually not a good sign. Yeah, the axle broke. Repairs. It wasn't
0: the wheel didn't like unscrew and fall off. The axle fucking broke. <laughs> um so we get the we get the cart off stage and leave him there alone by himself, and he just looks back up to the sky and goes First you take my horse, now you take my cart. Is there <laughs> anything else you'd like to take? And he goes back into the monologue. Uh, several paragraphs further down than where he was, but back into the monologue, and 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 the rest of the monologue is influenced by the fact that he just lost his his, his cart, um, because it can't not be. You can't continue that monologue without acknowledging the shit show that just happened. Right. right, right. Um. And and that's one thing that I pr- in particular love about. Improved monologues because they're and about live theater in general is that it will always change every night because something because whatever happens before it influences the monologue um and 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 that as an aspect of narrative is something that we're kind of losing as theater like theater's always going to be around Mm -hmm. but at in in this era of live stream entertainment of uh people playing tabletop RPGs on twitch uh like we do or via podcasts or like critical role does um is sort of uh the improv is still there and is still relevant but at now the the these in, in the realm of theater, it's all about scale and, Im, and emotional impact as opposed to the, the, the experience of just laughing your ass off for 30 minutes as everything goes wrong. Right. Nowadays, when something goes wrong in theater, it's Spider-Man, turn off the dark, and people get severely injured rather than just, <laughs> oh, a poorly put together ramshackle cart falls apart.
2: <laughs> yeah. um, Somebody falls 30 feet and breaks it 17 things. Breaks their leg,
0: yeah. It's okay. like, um. Which I, I, I don't know if you guys have any other like improv monologue things to talk about, but <laughs> that's something I really wanted to share is appreciate the theater that you have <laughs> because yeah. very rarely do you get to have an experience like Tevye's cart breaking.
1: <laughs> but yeah, no, and, and anybody who's been in theater for any, any period of time will have <laughs> a number of stories like that because live performance has inherent risk to it that edited performance does not um and so things like critical role or a live stage play or something of that (laughs) nature when things go wrong there's still a social contract between the audience you don't stop reset and try it again you keep going You commit to it, and you make it work. And sometimes it works out magnificently, and the audience doesn't even notice something goes wrong, and everybody backstage is either, you know, by turns dying, or just holding their breath in hopes that the entire thing doesn't go pear-shaped. Or, in the case of a comedy, frequently, the audience does know, and everybody shares in the humor of the unexpected situation, and then the show proceeds from there.
0: Yep. Yeah. I think there was a there was a stopping point there where I think one of us was expected to jump in, but I don't think Jeremy <laughs> or I had anything to add to that. So I'm just going to acknowledge so that happened. the silence. I mean,
2: we were just, sick way. Yeah, we we could've just <laughs> let it go and smoothly moved on, but no, you had to lampshade it. Yeah, because well, guess cause... what, guys? This podcast
1: is edited. No, <laughs> it's not. Uh... Shit, we're streaming right now. Jesus fucking Christ, God.
0: Um, uh... but, but, but yeah. Uh, shit, no, mostly the reason that you that you lampshade that kind of a thing is because I come from a world of theater where right. you lampshade everything to make oh, yeah. it funny. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I mean movie...
2: I think. I think it's hard not to be in theater and not have a jillion stories of things like that happening, or even if it's not, just, not that, if it's, you know, things that even the, the, the audience not, maybe never even knew of, but, but things that he, that went wrong, that had to happen. And those are, like you said, that's what makes theater great. Um and-
0: and and the thing that the thing that ticked off this, I will remind you, was Matthew Mercer uh, saying the council discussed it. Most of the knowledge seemed most of the knowledge seemed to be that it could not or there is no known way to destroy it. Yeah, that one uh. sentence chipped off this entire thing.
1: <laughs> so getting into the actual episode now.
0: Uh, sure, uh, so <laughs> Having finished their day of shopping At Gilmore's, the group spends a few minutes Sorting through the goods, trying to figure out what is best for whom uh, With that sorted out, Scanlan remembers That he had a specific question, heads back Inside to talk to Gilmore He asks him about a potion that will allow him to See a place they've been Using a combination of a mark in the potion <coughs> uh, They strike a deal And before the group leaves uh, on the ship In two days, Gilmore vows to have something for him uh, Ready to go Tiberius looks at some of the rings of protection, but is almost offended at their cost. Uh, Keeleth checks around for books on potion making in the hopes that she can start making potions of her own. Uh, she finds one and buys it for some light reading while they're on the airship. Uh, light in air quotes here because alchemical books are massive. <laughs> um. And with with the group's working on that, Vex finds a local black a local smith who works with strange items, and takes her selection of bullet armor. Or it's pronounced bullet, isn't
1: it? It's spelled Uh, uh, bullet
0: bullet. But I've always heard it referred to as bullet. Um, That's wrong. The the big the big the 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 big big armor of a
2: fantasy creature created specifically for D anD D is wrong.
0: And and described as looking like a bullet with legs. Uh, yep. Uh, yeah, the bullet. Um, <laughs> bullet. See, see, it <laughs> says bullette <laughs> Uh, anyways, armor uh, they were able to salvage. She requests uh, a set of armor for Trinket, basically hoping to provide some additional protection for her companion. Uh, a middle-aged dwarven woman named Karen uh, takes on the task uh, and tells her that it'll be done. Which in I'm time sure is pronounced sale.
1: or spelled differently, but it totally sounds like Vex just went to the PTA and is. Like, Karen, we need you to do a project.
0: Karen. Actually, no. It's spelled Karen. Fight K-A-R-E-N. me, Ellen. Right. It's spelled K-A-R-E-N. Karen. Oh, it
1: is. Okay. So, yes. She goes to a middle-aged soccer mom who's also a dwarven blacksmith.
0: Right. I mean, hey. I mean, middle-aged soccer moms can also be blacksmiths. There's nothing precluding them from that. Well, Jack, true. you sexist fuck. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I'm just saying, as far as narrative consistency goes, we have very few normal as we would consider them English names in this setting, and then we've got Karen and True. yeah
0: and, and Karen has a and and Karen has a particular um n- like blandness, I would say, not not normality because yeah, there's normal a little, little mis- bit of a
1: is- connotation to that name, I think yeah. as far as people consider, yeah <laughs>
0: It's it's just. mm -hmm. I mean, you say
1: Karen and you think you know uh, double tall white mocha, non fat, no whip. You know, (laughs)
0: yeah, you do. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you apologize to anybody listening whose name is Karen, but I mean, my name's John, so I get it too. (laughs) Yep, right, same your name is John, there's a certain amount of, oh, I know a John. I know you know a John. (laughs) Everyone in the world knows at least two.
1: Yep. No, that's the reason I'm called Jack, because I'm named after an uncle, and I went to a church where there were 37 Johns. I exaggerate only. And so they started calling me Jack.
0: I have yet to work at a place where there were not at least two other people named John. Right. Yeah. Like, everyone knows two Johns. Um, (laughs) At minimum. Anyways, uh, Tiberius called on Alora, asking her if uh, she could finish up uh, if she could create some additional communication earrings that the group uses. These uh, e- earrings of sending, which, as far as I know, are a fairly unique magical item to this setting. I don't think that's not a that's not a standard magical item in like the books or anything.
1: Yeah, no. Not no I
2: know. No, those are those are fairly unique. They're similar type things, um, in, within different. Actually, I want to say that there might be something similar to it in, uh, like, well, even like earring the... style in Eberron that I've read. Uh, of, I don't know but normally they you know, like are, like, rings a... of sending or things like or that. sending, I know stones, there are like sending like that. stones. That's the thing that I can yeah, think it. of. There is, there is specifically in Eberron something that is uh, uh, a set of rings of message that are very, very similar to the earrings. Um,
1: yeah. Yeah, because the Which, stone yeah. of sending is like it's usually a limited use item, but the range on it is absurd.
2: Yeah, it's, because it's of, a because of per the sending spell,
1: right? Yeah. Whereas these are short range and apparently more or less infinite use.
0: Yep. Yep. Nope. <laughs> um, they are. Um... Yeah, he goes to commission another another um, earring, another set of earrings, um, and to ask about getting a teleportation circle installed in their keep. Uh, teleportation circle being a spell that can only take you to another teleportation circle; it can't take you to um, just anywhere you spot. want. Yeah. Um, Percy spends most of the two days in his workshop creating new arrows for Vex and uh, and uh, anchoring something. I'm not sure. What uh, he made the... some explosive
1: arrows, and he was trying to make a grappling hook anchoring arrow. Yep, as well. That
0: was it. Okay, right. okay.
1: And oh. that was one of the things that I wanted to talk about because this is something that you see in a fair bit of, especially like adventurish or action type fiction, which is what I call the Q sequence, where. <laughs> The protagonist or protagonists go to their supplier and they basically have, you know, five, ten minutes of, look at all these cool gadgets that will inevitably, uh, Chekhov's gun being a thing, be used to great effect or absolute necessity later on in the plot. Yeah. Now, given that this is an improv thing, you can't predict exactly exactly uh, you know, that, oh, this episode Percy made explosive arrows, so Vex is definitely going to shoot explosive arrows this episode. Right. You know. Um, but still it's it's an interest it's a it's a technique, it's a trope where you establish not necessarily anything related to the characters other than specifically the tools they have at their disposal to solve problems later on down the line. What do you guys think about that sort of sequence? Is it done effectively usually? Does it is there there a need for it still in so, in modern narrative? I've actually
0: I actually recently in, our, in my Tuesday game that we don't stream or podcast. It's just a a, a game that we play with a bunch of friends. Um, we I, I actually recently did something similar to this. I wouldn't call it the Q scene, but I call it the downtime maintenance scenes uh-huh. um, because it's the things that you. It's the the that for some people is very very interesting and fun to play out, and for other people is boring and they'd like to skip over. Mm-hmm. Um, things like you know I go through and I make I make arrows, or what I was doing in particular, I was playing a knight, a, a character who is a knight, like a like a proper order of knighthood knight, um, and. You know, take the time to detail out, oh, yes, I'm going to go out to this. Uh, I, I ask the person whose house we're staying at if they have like a guard post or anything where we could clean my weapons and armor. They they indicate like an, a house with oil and polishing rags and things like that. And I go, yes. Well, I, you know, I go down there, take off my armor, set it up on a rack, get my sword, set it up in a grip, and then spend the next few hours oil cleaning and oiling and, and, and main, maintaining my weapons and gear. Mm-hmm um which is not something you ever have to do in a fantasy setting there's no to to borrow our favorite uh, your favorite punching bag Dristu to arden there's never a scene <laughs> in his books where he stops and oils his swords mostly because they're magical but you know he like he never like stops and says okay well I'm going to oil my leather armor so that it so that it maintains its suppleness and doesn't get stiff or I'm going to you know sharpen my swords on a spider rock he just is always ready all the time um and, and 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 the reason for that is for some people that's boring for people like me that's awesome that's why i role play because i want to do the minutia of small things in detail because i these are things that i I know how to do, but I never have an opportunity to do. And so living vicariously through these characters, I can say, you know, hey, I have a great sword that needs to be sharpened and polished and honed and armor that needs to be oiled and cleaned so it doesn't get rusty. I'm going to talk about doing that.
1: Um, And it's more important, I would say, to certain types of characters as well. You know, if somebody is, you know, a, a, a druid or something like that, that character is probably not going to be poring over books, doing research, you know, that it's sort of just a natural, they're, 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 hook is more of a natural innate power that they probably just have when they need it whereas you take somebody like a smith or another type of craftsman or even like you were saying certain types of warriors or knights or things like that they're invested in their gear or their craftsmanship or their business and so that sort of thing is going to be fairly key to how that character views the world and operates and thinks and perceives things around them and so you as a as a writer or an actor, you'll probably devote a lot more time to that sort of practical day-to-day minutiae as you put it. Yeah. In order to establish um, in, that character in their I context. Mean,
2: for me, like those those kinds of scenes are 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 great if they are particularly relevant to the character, either in a thematic way or those kinds of those kinds of scenes in narrative or whether, whether novels or TV or whatever can provide great um, uh, excuses or great (laughs) uh, uh, setups for conversation scenes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, That sort of thing. That's where I like those kinds of, those kinds of, of uh, detail stuff. If it's just done in terms of, okay, now this this character spends 20 minutes doing that with no subtext or no – it loses me personally.
1: Right. Um, and like and how many of you guys have read Patrick Rothfuss's Name of the Way? I, 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 I have not read it or not. I know oh, okay. chance, right? Uh, there's, there's a little bit of a, of a fan joke that goes around that the, the – the series is not the King Killer Chronicles. The series is Adventure in College Loans um, because the economic pressures put on the protagonist as he's trying to fund and continue his studies in magic is a huge key element uh, in the, the plot, especially of the first book um and so it goes into you know all this work that he's putting in these risky loans he takes out and the consequences thereof the time he spends playing music in taverns attempting to you know desperately make enough money so that he can come back the next semester more or less and in that case it's done i would say fairly effectively but that's because like you said jeremy there's an actual point
0: to having yes. that in
1: the story it's not just well, they must make money somehow, so let's so, take several paragraphs and find a reason that they have money, you know, right?
0: So I find I find there are three reasons to create a scene like this that it, aside from indulging in my personal desire to see the bits and pieces. Um the first one is, like you guys said, having a character conversation. There's a great opportunity. There are great opportunities for characterization in this. Like if you take a druid, druids don't, <coughs> don't have to study or read, but they do have to they do often have to collect materials. Mm-hmm. So if you're playing and I know people that like like to play druids because of the material assertion collection, they like to take fastidious notes about the exact number of twigs and branches they have in their in on their person. Um and so what you have
1: on acorns these days Hmm.
0: you have you have a person wandering the woods collecting sticks and acorns and that provides an opportunity narratively for a for them to get the satisfaction of maintaining their supply uh, and b for you to potentially have an npc drop in on them and have a conversation or or uh, another Mm -hmm. player character to to go with them and make sure they're safe and they also have a conversation there or for a dread beastie to jump out of the, the jump out of the shadows and attack and now this person's all by themselves while they were collecting their materials and yes they got all the materials they need to defend themselves of
1: looking for the mushrooms in the
0: bad but part they're by the themselves <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah because that's the only that's the only place they grow you know yeah. um and uh i think things like there there are so there's characterization building uh situations like that there are also um Storytelling, like you were talking about with with Patrick Rothfuss, where this this character has to do this thing in order to survive. So here's them playing, and here's them, you know, managing their finances, and here's them doing that and the other. And it's it's more character building, but it's also serving the plot rather than just serving the character development. And the third aspect is world building. Um, uh, for it, it, world building, um. In the Saga of Recluse by Ellie Modest Junior, um, the magic of the world is very much tied into um, the uh, the 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 way you manufacture goods, um, especially especially the, the the way the magic uh, the way the magic. Uh, works is there's two different sides there's order and chaos and the order mages are black mages and the chaos mages are white mages um which is kind of a flip on the traditional colorization but anyways um the uh order mages create their magic through orderly function and so this book series has really great blacksmith porn in it, where uh, (laughs) they... they they go into detail about how no, we're, these not, we're not people talking are... about naked
1: people doing metal work. Cause that is a terrible idea no, and you will no, injure a, yourself. That is a terrible Blacks- idea.
2: No, no. Blacksmith no, formed, by the way, is the name of my Rammstein cover band. But, yeah. <laughs> um, well,
0: they, they have these order majors going into you know, building machinery. In fact, they build tanks at one point. It's, it's fantastic. Um, in a fantasy setting, they build tanks run by magic. Um, And uh, they they, they go into detail about the craftsmanship and the forging and the smithing and the gear work and the polishing. And and at each step, also detailing how they are imbuing it with their magic, making it stronger, making it more durable, making it function. Um, And this is less about the story because you can tell that story in he made a magic tank. Um but right. they go into such exquisite detail and about it. Was
1: it.
0: Awesome. Yeah, and it was awesome. <laughs> they go into such exquisite detail about it to reinforce exactly what it is that this person is doing. He is not just waving his hands and creating magic. He's creating magic through craftsmanship. Uh-huh. Like through through excellence in his craft, through mastery of his craft, he is able to work magic. Uh-huh. Um not just because he's not, you know, not, 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 not just because he's a mage, um, which I, f- which, which is a very good world building scene and also a good way to sort of establish your view on the world. Um, I mean, not many people will appreciate this, but it's, it's very interesting that in this, in this part, in this author's world, craftsmen are orderly and sturdy and rigid and reliable and the good guys, effectively, and the Chaos Mages are uh, very almost Knights Templar in their order. They they very gauchely and, and extravagantly wield their magics at a whim. Where, where the Order Mages craft things to use their magic, the Chaos Mages just point and blast you with fire. Or just, you know, they, they, they let their emotions run wild and they let their society, like uh while while the people underneath them are regimented into this very militaristic society, they themselves have no rules placed upon themselves; they just point and make things dead if they want um, and so it's this very interesting look at how both of these things possess power. But at different costs yeah um and that's that's something you get just from the from from these detail scenes from this minutiae scene you get a sense of what this world is like and what it costs to be a mage in this world um and and that so that's the third aspect of these minutiae scenes that i particularly enjoy and 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 to be fair the saga of recluse is probably why I enjoy a lot of these minutia scenes, because a lot of the books are, are that way. Right. Um, mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, no, that's – and that's that's excellent when an author can effectively utilize a trope not just to put forward the plot but also to explain the values of the setting. Yeah. Because it gives gives the audience a context to interpret what they are going to continue to see down the line. Because you can have a similar sort of sequence, but if the craftsmanship and the industry is going into making shackles and chains for a group of slaves, all of a sudden there's a much more negative spin on this concept of order and and you know mass production you know
2: yeah but it's also worth worth saying that if you're including such a scene in something that, that that you're doing make sure that you understand why you're doing it i mean this is the case for all all anything that you might create in whatever way but uh when you have when you only have a certain amount of space it's, it's even if you have as much space as you want cuz you're writing a novel or a story or whatever um these are the kinds of scenes that if done just because and there isn't one of the world building or or is as an excuse for a uh something else to happen in the scene or as a a something that's revealing about character, then it grinds your story to a halt mm-hmm. in the worst way. Um, and I, I I mentioned this last time, um, but there there are a lot in the Clan novel series, the Vampire the Masquerade Clan novel series. There are a lot of scenes where even even though they are somewhat. um uh somewhat done in an in- Actually, I could hear a better example is Anne Rice. Anne Rice is one of the most descriptive st- uh, uh uh writers out there to the point that it is impossible to get through <laughs> her books most of the time.
1: You hear that and it's not levied a token as well a lot. Yeah
2: and it's not because <laughs> it's not because um it's necessarily poorly written. That, that's, that's all subject to opinion. But it's because it's constant pages upon pages of over-describing everything and, and so on. And there's not really a point to it. Whereas if you look at by a comparison, um, there there is a key scene in uh, uh, the book uh american psycho um which which is done in the movie as well if you've ever seen the movie where he's talking about all of the uh everything in his apartment and and where it came from and and that sort of thing and in in the in the movie it's done it's it's a lot easier to get through that particular scene because it's a short scene. In the book, it's like an eight-page chapter of non-stop. And I mean literally non-stop. This is this in my apartment. It was made by this. So I, or it came from this. This is how valuable it is. And it's almost like a list of that... But it's done well because there's an entire point behind it, which is to reveal the complete insane mindset of this person. Mm -hmm. Um, So if you have a purpose behind it, even the most banal, like barely readable scenes comes off as well done and you're, you're able to Uh, The the readers, you're able to keep the reader or the watcher or whatever following with you, whereas even the best written uh, scene of a similar nature um, that doesn't have a point, you're going to lose your audience.
0: Yeah. And to be clear, because I realize that we kind of as we tend to do, we, we kind of went a little bit away from the sparking the thing that sparked this discussion. Uh they don't go into all that much detail with with anything really that Percy does in his workshop, mostly no. because nobody but Talisan would understand what he's saying. Yes. Um because, like, Tal is, because Talzin is one of those players, kind of like what I do with my armor upkeep that I was talking about previously, where he does go in, he he, he goes into the minutiae of things because he's interested in them, and and he he has this uh, breadth of like uh, he 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 actually does study and collect old. Well, I work, We actually had a conversation on Twitter about it uh, not too long ago about the the workings of the flintlock pistol they use yeah. in the opening uh, in the opening video that they eventually get to, um, because it's a it's a backwards because the hammer the hammer slams backwards rather than forwards and so it doesn't look like it moves. But anyways, because um, <laughs> I also like I said I also get into that quote of minutiae. Um, yeah. so to be clear they don't, they don't do that he just says i'm going to make a couple of explosive arrows and i'm going to try to make a grappling arrow um,
1: mm-hmm. and then there's some dice rolls and results and are, then there's some dice and rolls yeah and results results are. Are. yeah right. they 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 keep it fairly succinct in, yeah. in terms of how it is there
2: works. is one other thing that happens in this and it's not really covered in the in the that that actually got on my nerves a little bit Sure. Um, which is so we've talked a lot about continuity and, and the importance of like if there's something significant to this to to uh, character dynamics or the like, you can't just let it drop. But so early on in the early on in when, once they started up, uh, Tiberius and Scanlon get back into their little. Back and forth about, yeah, I, I silenced you, yes, but you did
1: nothing to help us in the Kavarn fight. Oh yeah, and, <laughs> and this is like the very beginning of the I episode when they're handing out the gear in the middle of the show. Yes. right yeah.
2: Um, and like I said, that kind of stuff, you know, you shouldn't just let that. You shouldn't just pretend like that stuff never happened. No, but there is a certain time where you just kind of gotta let it go and move forward, because. Otherwise, constantly, like, particularly since I know <laughs> we've talked about it at length, how that, that the whole cavard debacle, um, in terms of how Tiberius handled, is like one of the most frustrating part of the last several episodes. Um, and that kind of so is it, it's good to bring up when it's not so bad when it's something that isn't necessarily like. When you're going through and you're doing like a serial storytelling arc, and you know your 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 audience hasn't reacted well, now you shouldn't always, you know, you shouldn't cater to everything that your uh, that your audience is saying. But if you know your audience hasn't reacted well to something, maybe don't
0: keep bringing it up every single <laughs> opportunity <laughs> you get. There is there there's there's a caveat there. Yes. of course. Uh, you, you shouldn't cater to your audience's whims. You should yes. cater to your audience because they're your audience. Well, but oh, not of course. specifically to their like ever changing uh, fan flights of fancies.
2: But you shouldn't. Yeah, you shouldn't be you, like one of the things I always like. I, I always talk about when I'm talking about. Westworld is I love the fact that they film the entire first season before. And, and all of HBO shows do this. The entire season is in the can before the first episode airs. Oh mm-hmm. yeah, um, which is entirely different from how it works on network. Um, so, like when Westworld came out, um, they had everything filmed. So when people started started talking about and speculating about certain things by episode two, um, there was no temptation from the uh, from from. From from uh, John Nolan and I forget the other the other showrunner's name to change what they were going to do because this was the direction that the audience wanted them to go. Because if you fall if you if you fall too far down that road, you are doing everything the audience wants you to do, and the audience doesn't always know what it wants.
1: You start, no, you, start, um, you, start, you start treading very close to soap opera territory at that yeah. point. Yeah, <laughs> the,
0: that, 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 that's one of those this, talking about production as a, as a producer, uh, as the executive producer of functional films. Um, <laughs> you, you, you play to your audience, but you don't play for your audience. Yeah. And, and, and to, to make that sentence make sense, uh, think about the last time a show surprised you. That's because the writer... Antediluvian. (laughs) (laughs) That's because the writer uh, knew where you were going mentally and knew how to subvert that expectation. If you are... Writing for your audience instead of to your audience, Uh, you write only their expectation. And yeah, you might enjoy it because it's what you want, but what you think you want, but it's never going to challenge you. It's never going to surprise you. It's never going to make you think or make you introspective. The purpose of entertainment is not just to entertain, although that is a very large part of it. It is also to elicit an emotional and cognizant response. Yeah. It, it's, it needs to make you feel and make you think. It doesn't just make you happy. Um, which is something that, you know, there are several early writers that get into writing and don't. Understand that most fundamental—not even just writing any sort of content creating—that most fundamental of aspects. In fact, there are entire news networks that don't understand that most fundamental <laughs> of aspects.
1: I <laughs> would say most news networks, yeah, yeah, yeah uh,
0: rather because they give you what you want. They give you what you what they give you what you want, not what you need. Right, um, right. And, and and if anybody that,
1: doesn't. And if anybody doesn't understand that concept, go watch the newsroom from HBO. It's not yes. 100% Bible, but it does get that point across fairly clearly.
0: Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah. And, and, and as, as entertainers, as content producers, it is our job to provide you what you need, not what you want.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and hopefully yeah. what you need at this point is to hear three guys going off on various tangents all over the place. Right. Which, by the right. way, are not going to stop because not a lot happens in this episode. No.
1: <laughs>
0: Have no. we talked about
1: hiking the Temple of Ray yet? No, we uh, not yet.
0: I, not I, yet. I'm about know. to get there. That, that is very, that is next. So, okay. uh, uh So uh, Percy spends most of the two days at his workshop crafting some new arrows for Vex and uh, attempting to make a grappling arrow. I don't think he succeeds in the grappling arrow, but he does make three excellent explosive arrows, which earn him a kiss from Vex. And the audience goes, Aww. Um And then Pike spends the time, spends the two days in her temple, trying to reconnect with her god, whose touch she seemed to lose while underground now if you wanted to talk about it would be the time
1: okay no um, I I really liked that sequence Um, and religion in art is a tricky topic at best I would say a lot of the time because you don't say
0: (laughs) yeah I know right
1: it's it's this this brand new concept that I know that hardly any of you are familiar with but Dealing with religion in an entertainment perspective especially is tricky because religion tends to be – I mean, in this one, it's a little easier. If it's a completely fake religion, you're you're frequently off the hook to a great extent. But still, the concept of deity um, and how that affects the day-to-day life of a character or an individual is – Something that a large amount of your audience will probably have very strong opinions on one way or the other.
0: Well, and to give you an idea, here in the South, the saying is that there are four things you don't talk about in polite company.
1: Let me guess. Religion, politics.
0: (laughs) Government, guns, God, and football.
1: So religion Um, and politics.
0: Effectively. But government right. guns <laughs> government guns, God, and football. Those are the that's the four. Um and it has to go that way because it's G, 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 G yeah, anyways. Um, But yeah, like that that's how that's how serious a subject it is that entire swaths of culture have a funny have a funny uh uh, 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 uh letters letter correspondence joke regarding the taboo right, like right.
1: yeah, no. when the, I was growing up it was it was politics sex and religion and sometimes you can talk about sex yeah right yeah. you know
2: <laughs> yep i mean that 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 i yeah that was that's about the same except for we didn't even make sex didn't even come in because you didn't even bring it up in that context but yeah
1: um and you know I, i came from a very uh fundamentalist religious background myself um and i remember constantly being bombarded with these opinions on how Hollywood handles our belief system and that sort of thing. And we were of course, (laughs) never happy with it. um, Despite the fact that, you know, looking back in hindsight, Hollywood had some decent things to say about the type of people that I grew up with. And even myself at that time uh, that were not entirely unfounded or wrong. um, Despite what most of the people in my peer group and, and community would have contested uh but i really have enjoyed how critical role has been handling it here because and again it's a little easier for them because it's fake religion and there's no question on whether or not gods exist whether or not you like them sure that's up to everybody's particular in-character preferences but then then why does
0: the then why does the wall of non-believers exist in the Nine
1: Because you're still allowed to not like them. It's true. The <laughs> same it's specifically is...
0: the wall of non-believers. For those of you that aren't familiar with the D&D setting as, in, in general, throughout all the realms, the, the, the non-material plane locations tend to stay pretty much the same. Just the material plane will change. And in one of the various gods of death's uh, realms, there is a brick wall in which they put... As mortar and brick atheists, so point yep. of order on that <laughs> um we're talking
2: is, about we're talking about setting. the forgotten realm setting um, <laughs> it is not atheists, it is those who have not dedicated themselves to a particular god okay the undecided which is different um however i I say there is still plenty of room for atheists, and a great example of that is um. Uh, no, it's presented in more of a humorous context here, um, and I'm—it's driving me nuts because I cannot remember the character's name because it's been that long since a goddamn issue has come out. But uh, the 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 priest from Rat Queens,
1: oh, yeah. is uh, a is uh, a,
2: is an atheist. She <laughs> is the well more agnostic, but still. Um. Is there
0: is a there is a difference between yes, agnosticism and atheism? There is
2: a difference. <laughs> there is absolutely a difference. But she is 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 the group's healer and priest, and she is specifically, and that's sort of the 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 punchline there. Um. But it's also handled very well within the storyline. D um, D
1: is the cleric.
2: <laughs> D.
0: That's it. Um. She's an atheist. Believes she is goddess enough. Yep. <laughs> but yes.
1: Right. Um, but yeah, so the but you know, so Pike goes to the the temple, she meditates, she does the whole, you know, sort of rededication thing. Um, you know, her holy symbol re re uh, reheals itself or uh, reconstitutes the, I was looking for um, and then she walks outside and basically cures vax of his uh his crippling yep. wound that he got from step putting his foot in lava which is generally what happens um right and but it's it's handled very very diplomatically and especially given that it's a focused scene on a single character uh Mercer as the GM is able to delve deep into sort of the significance that this character at least Feels to this spiritual connection and duty and and commission that they sort of have on uh, on behalf of of their their deity, and of course, Saren Ray is a deity who tends to be a little on the nicer side of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like religion in a fantasy genre can very easily be handled that way <sighs> because. You generally have, you frequently, maybe not generally, frequently have a polytheistic pantheon. And so those deities can be stand ins for concepts or topics that may need to be addressed because they have their domains, you know. And so Seren Ray tends more towards the light, wisdom, healing, a little bit of war, but not all that much, you know, um, aspect of, of a, a dedicated deity as part of a pantheon whereas you've got other other entities that personify other abstract concepts um and are are associated with those in the in the minds of more or less the uh the temple attending public as
0: Mm -hmm. it were
1: um but and so uh, yeah i just like highlighting that aspect because i feel like it was it was handled very well and in a way that was was appropriate without being you know, whack you over the head with all the religion that I have in my world kind of thing.
2: So I was actually a little frustrated by it. Um, Oh, good. Perhaps because, so after getting through, there's no other way I can describe the proceedings, the episode before that point, for me personally, than tedious. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, it was a lot of, and there was, there was some good stuff here and there. And, in and in, in what had come up is, but like they spent 15 minutes divvying out magical items. And they, they, we had the Tiberius Scanlan thing. Um, and, and it, it was a lot of mechanical housekeeping kind of stuff for the most part. And then we got to... Pike wanting to go to the temple and I sort of sit up like, okay, this is going to be this. Is, and to me was very, it was very tell don't show for the most part. Yeah. Um, like this was an opportunity, especially since this was something that was a major part of, of Pike sort of who, who had sort of more of an abbreviated arc than, than, than some of the other uh, characters, just because Ashley wasn't there for the first time three episodes, I want to say, mm-hmm. three or four. Um, so this was like a major thing that happened for this character uh, in terms of, you know, sort of going down sort of a darker path and and, and the, the amulet cracking, her reaction to that, and so on. And so she goes in the temple to sort of reconnect. And I'm like, oh, okay, this is something that I am invested in. And... I felt like...
0: Rip the band-aid was... done? Huh? Rip the band-aid done? Sort of. I
2: yeah. mean, that that's a little bit how... It, once... Talking about, you know, okay, well... The, Matt's description of... Okay, and you do... You know, after you do the meditation and and the, the stuff that you did in the temple, once you sort of touched on on her and the amulet you know fixes and that sort of thing that stuff was all kind of cool but as like it felt like there wasn't a lot of personal growth to match at least displayed or 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 presented to the audience that matched the resolution of that arc to me
0: so for for me, there there seems to be two separate topics we can talk about here with Pike in particular. Um, one is the present the the, the the way you present religion in in this types of stories, and two okay. is and, and the purpose for presenting religion, and two is actually how you end character arcs. Right. Um. Typically, we'll start on that one because the religion one I feel is going to be a longer conversation. But um, the 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 how you present character arcs uh, tends to be uh, you, you have a beginning, a middle, and an end. You have the, the start of the character arc. In this case, it was uh, Pike uh, being a little too bloodthirsty in 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 the Underdark. Um, And sort of almost reveling in sort of the chaos uh, that you can that 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 was resulting in their actions or that was resulting from their actions. And then two, the realization that she had been doing it sort of like the where the middle of this arc, um, which is when her her, she realized that her symbol had been broken and she, oh, I did a bad thing. And then three, the resolution, the, the, the final end of the arc, which would be here, uh, rededicating herself to Saren Ray and um, restoring Saren Ray's faith in her. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you consider how long it took to go from point A to point B uh how, how you know cuz it was a it was a good episode or two of actual in-game actions and things before she realized oh my my symbols cracked maybe i did a thing right um and then sure she was away for a few days so there wasn't a whole lot of eh, in 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 game for a few episodes. so there wasn't a whole lot of uh in-game stuff but um there there, there was no it didn't really get brought up again until now There was nothing, like, the from, oh, I realized, so from killing things to, oh, I did a bad thing, there was things happening related to this arc. And then from, oh, I did a bad thing to now I'm all better, nothing really happened. Right. Uh, which which can seem like a very dissatisfying story arc. This happens a lot in Marvel, uh, in Marvel and DC comics, where you'll have a really good setup, a really interesting setup, and then really interesting climax, and then it just shits itself all over the third half, the, the the third part of this. Uh,
2: you don't say. Does that happen? Bone claws. Um, <laughs>
0: For, the, for those that don't understand that reference, go read the summary of the fight between Wolverine and Magneto uh, from the early 90s, was, there early, uh, was it uh, early or mid 90s, mid 90s, from the mid 90s where Magneto said, oh, I can beat Wolverine easy, I'll just rip all the metal out of him, oh wait, bone claws, rawr! Um, <laughs> It was a silly time. The, the 90s was a silly time. But, uh... There was some really good stuff in that arc, and then there was some really bad stuff in that arc. Um... Yeah. But it, it happens. Um, especially in, in comic books. Uh, but, to talk about religion a little bit here, uh, just so that and so that everybody listening knows, I'm agnostic. I have always been agnostic. I have been agnostic my entire life, even though I come from a family of... Catholics and Baptists. Don't ask how that connection got made. It's weird. <laughs> um, I mean,
1: that connection gets made a lot more than you think, actually.
0: Right. <laughs> my, my 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 grandmother was a devout Catholic. They got disowned by the church for marrying a not Catholic. And then my grandmother on my other side was a has always been a Baptist. Um, so yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the thing that happens. By the way, if you marry outside the church and the old Catholic in the old Catholic faith, I don't know if it still happens, but you get disowned. <laughs> By, by the entirety time, of the church, time,
1: except when it comes time for financial pledge season.
0: Well, I mean, yeah. Um, but Fun
1: fact, uh, I, the fact, flag of the Vatican is a twenty dollar bill. <laughs> <laughs>
0: so, so uh, to, not enough zeros on the back of that thing. Um, so, my my view on religion has always been kind of weird in comparison to the rest of my peers and culture because, uh, and and to be clear. So, for those that don't know, agnosticism is not a lack of faith in God. Correct. It's not that. It, right. is a, it is the understanding that by its very nature, it is hard, if not impossible, to prove the existence of God. Therefore, belief is the more important aspect of religion, and I don't know if... It's the most – and everything outside of belief, I'm not 100 percent certain on. There are a variety of different flavors of agnosticism, hard agnosticism, soft agnosticism, true agnosticism, uh, 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 um, religious agnosticism, theistic agnosticism, and atheistic agnosticism. Within agnosticism, agnosticism, gluten-free agnosticism yeah within agnosticism, agnosticism you know you can you can believe in God, not believe in God, you can believe in one God, you can believe in many gods you can believe that you can believe that you can't prove the existence of God, you can believe that maybe we can, but we can't currently prove the existence of God, but throughout the whole thing, the belief in agnosticism is that the belief itself and the search for knowledge is more important than the God itself um and so. Which, which is opposed to atheism, which is just there is no God. Um, hard stop. Hard stop, period. Um, and so my interactions with religion in storytelling is very different and very much more abstract and personal. Uh-huh as the two of you have experienced yes yeah, sure. um there tends to be lots of you are now out of your body and in an alternate dimension talking with god directly because because it's about the belief you have and about the connection you have with that thing the Here's way it's a god portrayed that's
1: it, made of black smoke and teeth and it wants yeah, to kill everything
0: yeah have fun um and you you sort of sort of with my interaction, with with my directed or written interactions, it's less about what the god is and what the god means to you. Um, with the way it's portrayed commonly in fantasy settings, gods are solidly in place one thing. They have always a little been bit this static. thing. Static. Yeah. They're fa- yeah. They're fairly static, and it's more how you the player and how society as it's as it is revolves around that static god than your connection with that god and that's very much what we see sort of here with Seren ray being fairly static in her ways and the resolution for uh pike being her coming back to Seren ray rather than Saren ray reaching out to pike although not literally because in the episode it's described as Seren ray reaching down to pike but that's not Metaphorically that's not what I mean, and now I've derailed myself even further. Yeah, it's fine. I heard a I heard a big heavy sigh from Jeremy at some point. I don't know if it was a legitimate sigh or I want to say something, but I want to wait sigh. Uh
1: no. Okay.
0: So it was I just could... an actual sigh.
1: Okay. It was just an actual <laughs> But as far sigh yeah, as far as throw. the practical aspects of putting religion into a narrative that you might be working uh save yourself a lot of trouble make up a fake religion uh yes. if you try and put a real religion in there you're going to piss off most of the people because save yourself even... a
2: lot of trouble and death threats
1: right yeah <laughs> cuz even even if you take something assuming that most of the people listening to this are in the United States where primarily i think still the dominant religion is christianity
0: <laughs> yes
1: you you put you Maybe. put five christians in a room you will have probably eight different explanations on how christianity is meant to be practiced.
0: Yep. Yeah, uh, because they'll convince themselves of a different explanation halfway through their first explanation.
1: Right, yes. <laughs> um, you know, and then you'll get that one guy who's like you're all going to hell uh, except for me. How many other that people one, are also going how many other people are going to heaven? Literally just me. Oh, okay. Um, you know, right. But yeah, and coming from that background myself, you know, there's however you portray a person of faith, there will be another person of faith who will think you're probably doing it wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, that's so. Just be aware of that before you go throwing it in there, thinking, "Hey, then all the people of religion X will love me because I've represented their religion in my story."
0: Yeah, it doesn't matter <laughs> how you represent the religion; that somebody's going to disagree with you.
1: Somebody is going to yeah. disagree with you. Yeah, if you, if you, um... if you, if you, if you, if you're careful about it. You may be able to minimize the, the amount of people that are going to disagree with you, but there will
0: be. Someone- now, there are ways to use the religion
1: mm-hmm.
0: without pissing people off. Primarily, True. that's as background decoration. Yes, because any 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 more detail and people get pissed off. Right. Um, but that's not to say that you can't have the discussions about that religion with your fake religion because that's part of the thing we were talking about earlier about how these like these religious forces can be stand-ins for uh for actual religious practices uh, metaphor, something... yo, yeah it's called metaphor <laughs> it's something i do all the time um where like like you take a you take a practice that you want to talk about in religion and then you assign it to one of your fake gods, and then you have that because once once it's no longer oh that's not my religion, people tend to be a little bit more easier at understanding and, and, and reading and thinking than if it's when their you religion hide because
1: the medicine in the spoon of pudding then yeah mm-hmm.
0: then they take it yes well and and it's mostly because religion for the most part in our world and in our society is a very ingrained thing
1: very that's, personally
0: identifiable that's why as well, yeah. that's that's why militants are. That's what that's why, uh, you know, extremist militant uh, organizations often have some form of religion, religious underpinning to them, mm-hmm. whether or not it's accurate to the religion they're representing doesn't matter. Uh, it's it's th- it, that this is their belief and this is the correct belief. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and like all the not all not all X religion doesn't matter to them because for them everyone else may as well not be theirs. Right. Um,
1: and that's when you get things like Westboro Baptist Church and all sorts of crap.
0: Yeah. <laughs> when you get things like the Catholic Church disowning people for not for marrying outside the faith. Like, right. Um, that's that like simple things like that is this is sort of the it's my thing and it's a part of me. This is a part of my identity. Right. Um, and people get very defensive of their identity. Fair enough. Yeah. Like. You know just just like i get bitchy when people call me white because i'm italian and cuban and the cuban part is still there but you know i I get bitchy about it but it's 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 an understandable thing because it's part of my identity Uh and you know part of your identity is how you see the world so um it's 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 a very sensitive subject for that reason which is why you connected to a not-my-religion. Yep. Uh, is there anything else you want to add to this uh, on either side of that conversation, on the the, um, the uh, character arcs or religion? Nope. I'm good. All right? So yeah, uh, Pike spends time in the temple. Uh, near the end of her, well, we mentioned this already, but near the end of her session of prayer, the divine presence of Sarah Ray materializes before her in the temple, touching her cheek and reminding her of why she became a cleric. Vax, hanging out in the hallway, asked Pike to try again to heal his foot, which is so close to being fully healed. He thinks she can do it today before they leave. And she does. Grog and Scanlan head to the laughing Lamia, and Grog <laughs> bursts in uh, to ask about any Goliaths in the area. His boisterous question goes totally unnoticed. Annoyed at the lack of notice, Scanlan jumps onto the nearest table and unleashes a torrent of curses and insults at the room, which causes all conversation and noise to stop instantly. They're told that, they have been, that there have been some roving bandits to the north, but none have entered into town itself. With their errands run, their items crafted and collected, the group ventures back to the palace to meet with Lady <laughs> Kima to begin. And and the reason that I'm doing that stop, break, launch into a thing is because that's kind of how the episode goes. It's very yeah. much yeah. isolated scenes that happen and then are left behind. And that's actually something I think we should talk about as well. Um, another tangent to go on. Uh, this idea that this happens more in television than in narrative than in most other forms of narrative media. Television and theater are the two narrative locations that this happens the most, where a scene happens, and then another scene happens, mm-hmm. and there's no transition, there's no connection between the two, and. In some instances, this actually—it's—it's it's kind of hard to say. In some instances, this is good. In some instances, this is bad. In some instances, it has no effect whatsoever on the narrative.
2: I would um, argue that in ninety percent of the time, it's not done
0: well. It, there, there, there are there are certainly—I wouldn't say ninety percent of the time because I haven't watched enough TV lately to tell you that ninety percent of the time it's not done well. But, um. Uh, most of the time, when it is done, it is not done well. Yes. Yeah, uh, I would say yeah. Ninety percent of the times that it's done, it's not done well. I would agree with that statement. Um, but because yeah, because uh, it, it's kind of a hard thing to do. It's 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 the hard cut is what that's called, and it's. More of a comedy thing than anything else um, hard cutting between scenes is something you typically see in uh, uh, comedic back and forths where two people where four people are having two conversations at two different locations, and the scene keeps cutting back and forth on a on a, on a, on a word beat. Like you know, uh, person A and B are talking about chicken, and person uh, C and D are talking about fish. And someone on uh, and in conversation A and B says, "Man, you know, man, I've never noticed about their feathers." And then cuts to C and D with uh, person C going, "It's so they're so soft, right?" Talking about the actual meat of a fish right. as they're eating it. Like it's that that's that's sort of typically how it's used in a comedic sense. It's not typically used. Dramatically, because it gives this sense of momentum stalling.
1: I want you to imagine. But at least in that previous hmm? example, though, yeah, the dialogue is the connecting thing. Even if yeah, dialogue is the transition, each... there's connective you
2: know? tissue there.
1: Yeah. Right? Yeah, because I think um, of whichever episode that was of Sherlock when he back from the dead. You know, they yes. do that interspersed throughout, and there's an entire sequence. Of 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 a conversation happening, but different characters at different locations are providing this this continuous dialogue. You know? mm-hmm. Yes,
0: uh, and the dialogue there is a connective tissue, but right. the scenes themselves are separate. Are yeah. um and 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 to be to be clear the definition of a scene in narrative at least in thea- in theater and film writing is mm-hmm. whenever you move from a location to another location yep. uh, when, when whenever there is a exterior building day interior <laughs> right. building night that is the scene break yep, right. uh the conversation might continue through it but the scene changes um the uh 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 in narrative, on the other hand, I want you to imagine that you're on a roller coaster and you're going up and down and up and down and in the middle of one descent. And so you're you're screaming down at 125 miles an hour and then right at the middle of that downward decline, the entire thing stops on a dime.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That's what cutting a scene like that to jump to another scene is like narratively for the yeah. viewer and reader <laughs> because like oh something's happening something's happening oh it's interesting for instance just as as an example grog and scanlon uh scanlon jumps up and only unle- and just shuts the entire place up and they give them their information you're still in the middle of that downward clock. because okay so they give them what they want what happens next Moving on back to Lady Kima, um, there's right. no, there's no denouement. There's no downward action. There's no. All right. Well, because logically, no finding something a point has of to...
1: resolution before you move on to the next thing.
0: Exactly. There has to be something has to have happened because Scanlon and Grog came in and made a ruckus to demand information. and They got that information, but the aftermath of that ruckus still exists. Right. Like, that hasn't been resolved yet. Scanlan right. cussing people out hasn't been resolved yet. Um, so what happens? Do the bar patrons, all right, we gave you the information, do they then slowly get up and start picking up chairs and advancing towards Scanlan? Uh, do they just resume activity and start ignoring them again? Uh, then What happens after they get that information? Um, and when you just sort of cut it there, that it it leaves the audience in mid-momentum, going "What? Uh, uh, what? But what?" And when you're in a lurch like that, it's it, it's very hard to connect to the next scene. Yep, because you're still in, mentally, you're still in that previous scene. Mm-hmm. Um, that happens. That happens a lot in role-playing games, more often than more often than most other forms of narrative, uh, primarily because there's seven people trying to do seven things. Right. Um,
1: and, but... and as a as a storyteller or a game master, you're generally trained to shift the spotlight whenever you can, so that the other six people around the table don't get bored. Right investment. That's what you know, you, you're you trying to keep everybody engaged, even if only one person is active in by themselves at a time.
0: Yeah. And I find that uh, in role playing, since doing the comedic cut in mid sentence portion of, of scene sharing tends to be the best way to, to deal with that. Right. Um, but it's still it's still a difficult thing because you're hurting cats, Yes. Uh, like herding cats with each in, with each with their own individual chew toy or play toy or whatever uh, it can get challenging for one person to do. Uh, so, with their errands run, uh, their items crafted and collected, the group ventures back to the palace to meet with Lady Kima to begin their journey across the sea. Uh, The few members of the council that are still present greet them. uh, Tophor again being cold towards Tiberius, uh, and a pair of envoys have come with an enchanted box. Uh, They lift the lid. Yes, they lift the lid. Tiberius uses his magic to retrieve the horn from the bag of holding, which doesn't work. Um, mechanically, that doesn't like like it, it works in the scene, but mechanically that doesn't work because uh, you can't use telekinesis through a bag of holding because you're traveling planar dimensions with it. But that's that's just me being picky. Um,
2: <laughs> eh.
1: Rule of cool.
0: Yeah, I mean rule of cool. It still bugs me, but I understand that it probably only bugs me.
1: <laughs> well, and I would say it bugs me slightly, but that's by far not the most problematic thing. Tiberius tries to do in the next five minutes. So, no. <laughs> um, oh, so Tiberius.
0: Tiberius uses magic to retrieve the okay. you, I'm, you, I'm You've turned, 100, you've turned per- 180 degrees on Tiberius, Jeremy, over the what course of this podcast.
1: <laughs> I'm perfectly fine with players who want to try and do something or ask if they can employ parts of the, the system or parts of the narrative. Come up with original ideas, you know, mu- modify or, or adjust to the situation on the fly. But don't demand that you can do something or say that you can do something if your GM hasn't told you you can do that if it's something completely different than the thing <laughs> was designed fucking for. <laughs> Hi, I take a paper that's designed to send messages from one place to another and magically turn it into a motion sensor? <laughs> I No, mean. no, you fucking don't.
0: <laughs> A pair of envoys have come with an enchanted box sent to help ensure that it remains closely guarded. They lift the nice. lid. Tiberius uses his magic to retrieve the horn from the back of holding it and places it in. As it enters, gems and enchantments glow with light, keeping the horn hovering perfectly in the center of the box, never touching the top, bottom, or sides. The group heads out with two envoys carrying the box in the center of in the center between them. Uh, when they arrive at the tower, they are briefly awestruck at the airship hovering over them. Being their first time seeing one up close, they all marvel at the magical power used to levitate the huge boat. The captain walks over and introduces himself as Damon and welcomes them to the skyship Dira. As Keyleth has, as Keyleth has Grog hold her so she can try and fly, the captain tries to get them aboard. Uh, Tiberius gathers the party and uses Prestidigitation to capture an image of the group on the platform with the ship behind them. Taking a selfie! Uh, as Trinket is loaded on via crane, the rest of the group climbs up a series of ropes and gets onto the main deck. As Captain Damon whistles to weigh anchor and the ship sets off across the Oswald Sea towards Vasselheim, seven days journey away.
1: So here's a question. What would you guys say? Strengths, Comparative strengths and weaknesses of narratives that do this sort of travelogue thing, jumping from place to place, you know, and, and pursuing plot lines across a, a large uh geospatial theater versus a more static storyline one that takes place maybe just in a city or uh in in a much more compact and consistent uh, I
0: don't know guys area. what do you think
1: Well that's why I'm asking you we'll I start mean with Jeremy
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> I mean I there's a lot there there's a lot of benefit in both uh, it, it it it's good timing for this for those who listen to our other stuff um because the in in Hebron the party has just left uh the the city that they've been contained in with the, for the first however many episodes it was um and Uh, 14 episodes 14 well you guys left the episode before so 13 episodes um we had to get to a train fight but 13 episodes and then they, they they left out and there's there's a lot of benefit to both i really like seeing i really like uh when when i 'm doing a story arc uh, or or i'm I'm writing something, I really like setting something within a single place for a fairly long period of time because that allows you to get comfortable uh with with the setting on a micro level and that allows you to get comfortable with the characters um if there's a certain stability if everything's constantly changing around the characters it's hard to get really invested within the characters themselves because you it's it it's new information overload mm-hmm. yeah. um it, so once you've been in a certain setting for for a certain period of time and you're comfortable with the characters you know how the what the characters generally how they react to things you know you you feel like you have a good handle as a reader slash viewer slash listener, whatever. Um, Then there's a lot of value at that point in taking them. You certainly don't have to, but there's a lot of value in taking them outside of that setting and then exploring your larger world. Mm -hmm. Um, Because at that point it is introducing those characters who you are now familiar with um on on a fairly strong level to new situations new and, and entirely new characters uh new things that are not possible within that somewhat more restrained uh uh, uh setting um that's generally how I like handling that sort of thing. Uh, I, I I find, like I said, I find that if I'm watching something and they are taking them on a road trip right away, uh, this is why I don't get into procedural television shows a lot. As a matter of fact, and it was sort of tough for me to get into uh, Supernatural in its first season, is because you're still getting used to the characters, and they're traveling from situation to situation to situation, dealing with these sort of different, you know, entirely different um uh self contained plot episodes and you're not really necessarily getting that good of a good of a a a handle on the characters because everything is new and everything is crowding in there. Right. Um so yeah.
0: Um, for me, I, I I like both, and I do both. I have, I, I have written uh, campaigns for both, like mm-hmm. one entirely set in one city, and you guys experienced one that went around the world and involved the entirety of the world. Um, I find that yes, there is certainly a, a certain amount of everything's constantly changing. You're constantly coming into new cultures and new new places and things um, with the around the world kind of story. But it also helps you get to know the players and the characters that you are working with, uh, from a GS perspective at the very least. Uh, uh, not talking about like narrative at this point, just from D&D in particular. Um, because you get to throw these people into all these various cultures, and you see how they react. For instance, I now know that none of you are big fans of the extremely, extremely authoritarian capital punishment type uh, society, so uh, I, I, mean, I know that. Give and... me the
2: right character that I'm playing, and well, are yeah. Yeah,
0: for it but yeah but you know there's 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 that you know uh that that kind of a where, where honor isn't just an abstract concept but is a very real thing and has very real consequences hey, um nobody
1: expects the spanish inquisition but the spanish inquisition sure as hell don't expect us either it's, it's <laughs>
0: fair it's fair it's fair what the fuck am I supposed to do with these guys just kill them um but uh do you but, right but, back motherfucker <laughs> but yeah, so like you you get to you sort of get to, um, throw your players at a wall and see what sticks effectively, uh, and, and I find that very like broad street broad seeking areas, uh, uh can our broad seeking stories can do that where you see not only do you see these characters you never really see them in their native habitat so you never see them comfortable necessarily or or occasionally you might but not for very long. Um, so you do get to see what they behave like when it's actually raw them and not them in a setting where they're in control. Uh, alternatively, with a single city story or something similar to that effect, and that was a lot of s's and uh, you know or s sounds, um, uh, you you get to not only get these characters comfortable. With themselves and with their surroundings, you get to have them. You know, like a campaign I have is basically a campaign that I have is where the entire party plays uh, members of the Water Deep uh, of the Water Dovian Guard of mm-hmm. the, the City Guard of Waterdeep in, in in the Forgotten Realms. <coughs> um, which, if you're familiar at all with the Forgotten Realms, the City Guard of Waterdeep get into some crazy fucking shit. The worst um,
1: job ever.
0: Worst job ever. What did
1: Clean- Guard reminds me so much of like terry pratchett guard stories half the time yeah
0: like i would love to see you guys as Waterdeep guards as water <laughs> guards because that would be just what are we doing today well uh an archlich rose in the undercity we also have to deal with adventurers who went missing in the kobold mines to the north and there are pirates attacking the bay again for the third time this week.
1: fill out situation reports <laughs> You bastards! <laughs> Turn in your goddamn so, paperwork.
0: So, like, they're like, like water, Do- waterdovian guards are in their own right powerful adventurers. Not because they were ever adventurers in life, but because if they last more than a week, they have to be right. Um... <laughs> And so I, I I love the concept of you, you get these characters who are in a city that they know very well. This is their city. They're the guard. Like not only is it their city, they have authority here and then pulling the rug out from underneath them and seeing how they behave in the, when the chaos falls. Like that is even more of a fun story to do. Yeah. Um and and like that's something I would do for like a shorter series of games, like a, like a like a mini series on a full campaign, but There are merits to both directions. Cool. Do you have any input on that, Jack?
1: Uh, I am fairly well known to prefer a static setting um, or at least try and maintain a consistent scene. Uh, if, the, if the cast is going to be running around. Um, kind of like Star Trek-esque. Sure, they're showing up in new places every week, but there's always the Enterprise. You know, that's home base. Uh, that, that gives a level of, of consistent setting mm-hmm. uh, to the whole thing. I'll, I feel like, because I've, I've run campaigns based on the travelogue sort of thing before, and that story, while it moves, and while there's a lot of action involved, it's much more difficult for me as the storyteller and also to an extent for participants in the audience to get invested because, like you say, things are constantly changing. So, you know, it's while the characters are consistent <coughs> from week to, week to week to week, there's very little else for an audience to grab onto and, and dig into because you don't see these NPCs possibly ever again, you know, or. Okay, well, we saved that town, and now it's in the rear view. Um, whereas... so, so what you're
0: saying is you really hate Scooby-Doo.
1: Yes. I absolutely—actually, that is a very good that is a very good parallel. Yes, I absolutely hate Scooby-Doo.
0: Because because um, that's what Scooby—Scooby-Doo, like, if we if we were to back it out a little bit, Scooby-Doo is a travelogue narrative.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. it definitely is. I love scooby Yeah, it fulfills most of the tropes they're on. Uh, yeah, whereas, like, our <clears throat> vampire game, I mean, the very first episode, I'm all right, guess what? Officially, nobody's allowed to leave town. Right. Uh, you know, and it's just like, boom, all right, covered, handled, this is where we are, you know? And and I like having the, the story continue to build on the setting, whereas, you know, what you do in one town may not have much of a far-reaching effect unless your reputation precedes you in the next town, whereas what you do one night in the city well, you're still in the same city, so you're going to have to deal with those consequences, and it lets the, uh, the characters not only be consistent from week to week, but the things that they have done and the investment they begin to sink in and the route that they have uh, to their location – are also continuing to build throughout the arc of the narrative. And I really enjoy both of those. So if I had to pick one, definitely static. I can see the dynamic that is, that is helpful. I'm just not personally really as inclined to a more travelogue uh, sort of narrative structure.
0: So what you're saying is I've got a volunteer for that Watertovian campaign.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. Heck yeah.
0: All right. Uh, so... As the ship takes its slow journey, Percy takes more time to read the book he purchased from Gilmore. Keyleth does the same, as well as taking part of the day to create some spell scrolls for later use. Uh, in, early, in the early morning of the third day, most of them have settled into a routine of boredom. The ship suddenly makes, it makes a sudden shudder and snaps everyone out of their stupor. As many of the group make their way to the deck above them, Tiberius recognizes uh, 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 some flying creatures coming in towards the ship as wyverns with riders atop them. Uh, who dive bomb the deck and attack the deckhands, uh, and thus we have a lot of fighting. So we're, we've gone a little long on this uh, on this podcast already, and not, there's not much that happens left in the in the episode except for fighting. As a matter of fact, they don't even finish the fight before the end of the episode. There are still way for, <laughs> there are still ones to go. So instead of going through the entire fight, what we're going to do is talk about particular moments. Um, in the fight that are sort of standout moments. Now, do either of you have any of note right now that you want to talk about moments within the fight that that you feel are worth mentioning?
1: Nope. Um, I mean, I mean, was, th- turning a wyvern into a rabbit is always funny, but you know, it's not really a, I a mean, narrative criticism.
2: <laughs> I, and you, you know, I, I I feel like that's that that's the kind of situation that, you know, Keyleth might want to keep in mind for, for future situations.
1: Um, but I, I have no idea what you're talking about, <laughs> but, um, Don't worry about it.
0: neither do we. It was, <laughs> <laughs> no I always like airship
2: spoilers. fights. Um, I, I, I liked the, there, there were a couple of moments that I kind of enjoyed in terms of like, when you're doing an airship battle, um, and, and this is one of the reasons, one of the many reasons to be fair, but why I like Eberron so much. Um, when you're doing an airship battle, there is a certain level of danger that you don't get in most uh, environmental danger that you don't get in a lot of fantasy, um, uh, 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 travel scenes. um, and 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 this Namely, is this falling is,
1: to your death overboard.
2: Yes, and this is right. very succinctly <laughs> explained early on in the fight when when Wyvern grabs one of the <laughs> random NPC crew members and just chucks them off the ship.
0: So yeah, that's um, actually something that perfect, I wanted to talk about.
2: Beautiful red shirt moment.
0: Yeah, that's, that that that's that's actually something I really want to talk about. And since you bring it up, if we could just take a moment. Yeah. Um, the concept. Uh, so we 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 talk a lot on this series about show not tell. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is a perfect moment mm-hmm. of show not tell, and it's one that's used quite a lot in video games, books, movies, all sorts of things to show danger rather than saying, "Hey, it's dangerous." Um and and and, throw and a that wharf is
1: across the bridge.
0: <laughs> throw a wolf across the bridge, or uh, you know, throw somebody overboard, or and, and like, like as in this case, the Griffin swooping down, grabbing a cannon, shunk chunking him over, uh, chucking him off, uh, into mid air, nothing. Uh, and and hearing the hearing the <clears throat> very scream all the way down, like yep. Yep. Uh, that is so perfect. Uh, a, a moment. To show the danger your players or your heroes or your protagonists are in. Um, And it's one that's not... Like, it's used a lot, but it's not always used well. Um, Because you'll have... In in this case, it makes sense. Because you're on a ship. You've booked passage on a ship. These deckhands are already there. You're going to have a thing. But... The one that comes to mind for me is the Avengers, okay. um, where, and, and I know that this is partly because it's currently a Disney-owned property, but uh, in the in, in the aliens invade Manhattan scene, and that's not what the purpose of this scene is, because the purpose of this scene is to show our heroes being badasses, but in this in this scene you see massive you see destruction on a massive scale aliens plowing through buildings knocking giant you know giant office buildings down blasting through them running around and no civilians die you never once in the entire scene see any civilian eat shit and get crushed by a building
1: or, like, end up with a chunk of rebar through their abdomen or something. Or or,
0: or, I mean, I feel like there are a
1: couple reasons. Or get
0: picked up and tossed out of a window. Um, And there are are a few reasons uh, that are not narrative reasons as to why that happens. Right. Um, But narratively... What they what they do? They were trying to show how dangerous these aliens are by having them break through buildings and knock shit down. But what they ended up doing was just going, "Oh, all of the mortals that have no superpowers whatsoever got away safely. These guys must not be a threat to our heroes."
2: I never really interpreted that as that. That's no, how it came no. across to me. I interpreted first of all, I I I assumed because the level of threat that they were displaying the amount of destruction that there was in terms of property damage i assumed okay some people are fucking dying in the background we just don't see it um i can definitely see where the it does take a little bit of the of the the bite away from it in the in in that particular case like I said there's a lot of reasons why, not the least of which is the 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 fact that it did proceed um uh or it did follow on the steps of Man of Steel, which was fucking destruction porn. Um but yeah, I can I I I, I can see where you're coming from, even if I don't necessarily share the view.
0: Yeah. And 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 mostly what I took out of that was, oh, they're going to destroy the world if they're left unchecked, But they're not actually they're not actually good enough to kill the heroes because they can't even kill these civilians. And it would have been better if there had just been no civilians at all. Like if I hadn't seen any civilians, they didn't go out of their way to show civilians, Uh, because at that point, then, oh, yeah, people are dying. We're just not seeing it. Uh, but what they did was they went out of their way to show tons of unarmed un powerless civilians running away and not dying um, because all the all we all you have when when you 're viewing when you 're viewing a movie or when you're watching a TV show or when you 're reading a book all you know for certain is what you are shown or told. And in regards to civilian, all we were shown was 100% of the civilians that we see are able to escape alive. Mm -hmm. That's all we're shown, which means that all the information we have is 100% of the civilians escape alive, which means that this alien invasion is a shitty invasion. (laughs) Um, but yeah, but that that's just an example from my perspective, and not everybody's going to agree with me, just as Jeremy doesn't, but that's fine. We are, we are adults, and we can disagree. Um, we can disagree and still be friends. Uh, but that's an example in my mind of royally screwing up this very simple thing of having a griffin grab a deckhand and throw him over the edge. Yeah. I was uh, sorry and I I, didn't, I I wanted to jump in to, to highlight that cuz you had spoken about it was there anything else that you wanted to, that to
2: highlight That was literally the only <laughs> thing that I wanted to talk <laughs> about. <laughs> it is that <laughs> sort of a fight. I mean it's not a bad fight. No, no it's, it's just not a... it's not particularly dull or anything. There's a couple cool things that happen. I like, like Jack said the, the the bunny thing is funny. Um
1: but narratively it's it's kind of narrative busy work.
2: Yeah, it really is.
1: Right. It's so, one of those things that's probably much more fun to participate in than to simply watch happening.
0: So for me, like uh, there, there is on the planet. <laughs> there is one more there's one more bit of information, of narrative information, that i f- picked out of this fight that I would like to talk about and that this will probably be what we end on. Uh, and this is a missed opportunity for a character to be hoist upon their own petard. Um, which is a phrase you like? I do. It's a lovely phrase. It, it's, so <laughs> it a phrase. it's so evocative. It's so evocative. Specifically, Tiberius, which I know he's punching bag,
1: but <laughs> we like to shit on Tiberius. It's because, fine. I think I think because, everybody understands
2: <laughs> because of the character. He's.
0: There, but um, <laughs> um, so Tiberius throughout this, for the most of the fight, uses one spell. yep telekinesis. Now, this is a really good opportunity to talk about people that are so confident in their powers that they do the I can beat you with one hand tied behind my back shtick. Um, and I'm then sorry,
1: Hex Eldritch Blast, what now?
0: <laughs> i mean yeah. that's a des- that is a D so,
1: design thing so yeah so so how how'd that
0: how'd that work out for you when the enemy could see you when you use power word kill
1: <laughs> hey not every tool is universally applicable and i will be the first <laughs> to admit that
0: uh, i didn't and, and that's go into what I mean. it
1: assuming that i could kick a shadow sorcerer's ass by myself no, no, that's fair. Um,
0: but but that that's this is kind of that's kind of a moment I wanted to highlight that because mm-hmm. um so Tiberius uses telekinesis exclusively almost exclusively in this fight. I think he uses a couple other spells, but most of it he's grabbing people throwing them off, grabbing people throwing them off, grabbing people throwing them off. Um, this would be a perfect moment to showcase that when you are so overconfident of your own powers, you can be blinded to faults you didn't see. Uh for instance the fact that telekinesis is a high level spell. Um and sure it can go for a long period of time, but if there had just been if there had been a reason for him to have to break concentration on telekinesis multiple times, as he keeps trying to use it and keeps trying to use it and keeps trying to use it and keeps trying to use it. And then that one time when he goes to try to use telekinesis and he can't because he's used it too much. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And then something happens, not necessarily to kill him, but something happens that severely injures him or someone else because he's not able to use telekinesis because he was too overconfident in his fighting prowess. um, That he kept using just this one spell at the sacrifice of other potentially far more efficient spells. Um, Because telekinesis doesn't actually damage people by itself. No. Actually, I think a couple of times he throws people, and the Griffins catch their riders and come back up. Yeah. Yep. Um. Uh. And so, if this was a really great opportunity that was missed to have a bit of character growth for Tiberius, um, and and fair enough that it was missed. This is this this would would have been hard to get, uh, unless you uh unless you sort of had planned planned for this already, um as specifically as a as a thing to ch- challenge Tiberius. Um where he could have again his lost his telekinesis and been basically powerless uh in the face of somebody coming to grab him and now a griffin has him in its talents or or not a griffin, or yeah, a griffin or 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 a wyvern has him in his talons and is about to drop him and he uh-huh. can't save himself. And somebody else has to come in and save him, and, I and mean, he learns a little bit, a little less about humility. That's a really great story moment that could have happened, but was missed. That I wanted to highlight in particular.
2: To be completely fair to Tiberius, um, which, which, which I know we are not often. Um, We're <laughs> I like fair to, Tiberius. I like to lead that charge, um, but, but to, to be fair, to him, this was this particular moment of him just going going ham on that spe- with that spell Damn. was a little out of character. I mean, we we talked in a previous episode about I, it was one of the one of the ones with, I, one of the underdark ones. Uh, just bef- I think it was just before they got into uh, uh the emberhold. Um one of the one of the few positive things i had to say about tiberius in that episode was that i really <laughs> like he has a tendency to vary up the use of his spells um this i think was a little bit of an aberration so i'm not sure if there would have been a lot of character growth from him just diverting for this one episode
0: I th- I think he leveled up recently and got telekinesis and wanted to use it as much as he oh, could.
2: well, yeah, I really think that's what it, it was clear plus it was kind of the perfect opportunity to start using telekinesis and mass. You're on an airship.
0: <laughs> oh no, I'm not saying not Whee! saying it's not good, not saying it's not a good opportunity. I'm not saying there aren't reasons for what he knew yeah. what he was doing, but that it was a really but like and it's not really out of character because he is that level of arrogant. Yes. Like, provably. Like, he's proven himself previously to be that level of arrogant. Um, and this is just – it's a missed opportunity for the arrogant person to be knocked down a couple pegs. mm mm-hmm. um, and it would have been really great, and I know it would have been difficult to do, but it would have been great if that had happened, and it didn't and and it was sort that of like, this is sort of like more missed storytelling opportunities that similar characters and similar stories could you know could also miss like the, like because when you when you when you look at combat and so many people do uh, look at combat as a place where narrative stops. we've had that conversation before. Uh, you look at combat as a place where narrative stops, and so you just go through the role. You go through the the description of combat, and then it's done, and the narrative picks up again. Um, this is just an example of a place where, within the combat, that narrative could still continue and could still weave in and out and make these characters a little bit more complex. Uh-huh. That was potentially missed. Um, yeah, like. In, you know, greater invisibility, eldritch blast, hex. Yeah, that's a really great mechanical thing that you can do. But the minute you have a superior spellcaster that can see through your invisibility, oh no. Put you what? right
1: back on your back foot. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. like,
0: whoa fuck. Bam. Um, and so that that's a place where narrative happens. And this is mm-hmm. another place where narrative could have happened that didn't. Yeah. Um, and I felt that it's good to highlight that. Because so that you, when writing your narratives or when doing your stories or when or when designing your encounters, can think as a GM, as a storyteller, as a writer, as whatever, about am I missing an opportunity to further evolve somebody in this story? Yeah, because there are there's no such thing as a place in a story where a narrative cannot happen. No such thing. Narrative can happen anywhere. You just have to find the correct opportunity and implement it. Yup. And I think this that sounds been a like
1: a damn long episode. It has. But I think that yeah. sounds
0: like a I think that sounds like a good place for us to stop. What do you guys think? Yeah, I'm down. Sure. Alright, so uh, we have been Final Show Films we produce a wide variety of content every day of the week, you can check us out our website at finalshowfilms.com, you can know, check us on our Patreon page at patreon.com slash fsfilms where we are currently at $100 a month thank you to our patrons, especially our $25 tier supporters, Chris Comfort and Antitonic. Um our next goal on Patreon is $500 a month, which is going to be paying for Jack over here uh, to edit our stuff full time or part time uh, out of your pocket instead of mine so uh if you like jack at the very least you don't have to like me but if you like jack throw us a couple bucks we appreciate it um yeah and uh just once again from the top i've been john at john a bates uh on twitter and we've had jack
1: hey i'm jack and mine was alt f4 gamers on twitter
0: and jeremy yeah
2: uh, jeremy j thomas 411 mania and this is
0: where we say goodbye everybody Goodbye. Right, uh, Goodbye. <laughs>